Welcome all survivors, helpers, and allies of sexual trauma. This is the FOF Podcast, where we help match you with resources for your sexual healing journey to increase your confidence and handle life the freak-out-free way. We are Claire Horner and Dr. Sadal Jones, two sexual trauma specialists and resource matchmakers committed to your healing and ours. To heal our own sexual trauma while helping others do the same, we've dedicated our professional and personal lives to healing. But that doesn't make us more of an expert on your healing journey than you. You are your own best resource. We want peace and safety back in our lives. Let's do that together. The Freak Out Freeway on the FOF Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the FOF Podcast. Over the last season and a half, We've delved into important discussions and engaging interviews focused on the journey of healing from sexual trauma. Today, we're revisiting memorable moments from our inaugural season and offering a sneak peek into the compelling themes and subjects we have in store for season two. So we're talking about and reflecting on the first season of FOF Podcast and we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning. So we started this podcast on February 14th on Valentine's Day, and that was very strategic. Thanks to Claire. Very strategic starting that day because we wanted to give this gift, right? Give this gift to our listeners of a space and a place to hear and learn and gain information, resources, etc. through FOF in a freak out freeway, as we like to say. So our very first I'll say launch, launch day. There were many episodes that came out throughout the day. And that was really fun for us to kind of listen to all of those mini episodes and share those mini episodes with like family and friends and say, hey, go listen. And everybody was really excited about it. Um, So that very first week of FF Podcast was really exciting. And then we, when the first episode aired, which was a few days later, it was with Eric. And if you guys go back to that very first full episode with Eric. I believe it was on the 16th of February or 17th of February, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. That was our very first interview. And Claire and I were really trying to figure out what this was going to be like. Because if you know us, you know that Claire and I are in two different places. And so are our guests. So that's three people in three different places coming together to do this one thing at this one time. And if I remember correctly, I think I happened to be traveling that day. So we yeah. were, <laughs> you, we were trying to make sure that the that everything still was as if you know we were both in our home spaces, and I think it turned out well. We did have some technical things going on, but I think it turned out really well. I think my takeaway, I'll start with my takeaway. My takeaway from that episode, or the thing that I I think about most, is having the conversation that's really difficult about sexual trauma and sexual abuse. And its intersection with religious organizations or religious communities. That's something that we usually shy away from. That's usually a very, very touchy topic. And Eric talked about that in his episode, his experience with, you know, how he was impacted by being someone who brought this topic up often, but then also not really feeling like there was always support and having to find a community that would support his version and his way of advocating. Right. And so that was my takeaway. I think that was something that was really big 
for me because again, we just don't we don't talk about it. Whether regardless of what the religious organization is, it's just not something that's talked about. But we all know that it's there, right? And it's one of those things where you know, just like we say, or some people say, not all men. Mm-hmm. Once you start talking about the religious space, people are going to say not all churches. Mm-hmm. And of course, neither of those generalities are true. Right. And at the same time, there has been an extreme level of abuse in toxic religious situations by clergy, as we've seen in multiple groups over mm-hmm. the years. And we have, in recent years, heard much more about the research and the, the records evidence. that have been found, mm-hmm. the evidence, the survivor re- recollections and mm-hmm. testimonies and court things. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many levels of all the things in the courts, yeah. all the things from mentioning to someone, hey, I think this happened, all the way to a conviction if that even if that ever happens. happens. Yeah. 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 I think another thing I'll say on the topic, um, on this, this particular episode was the space of systemic silence, right. And how a system is in place to keep people silent or a system is in place to keep people turning the other cheek or looking the other way, um, when these things are happening. And so I think that's something also that we talked about in the episode is that there are systems in place and, those systems keep those things going and folks benefit from that. So, you're, you know, if you are someone who has survived sexual assault in a religious space and you've been silenced, the system is there to keep you silent, right? Like that's the, because there are other people that are benefiting from you being silent. Right. Someone who has been the victim of a perpetrator within the church and they speak up, there are processes that a church should already have in place before that even happens. There should be a culture of speaking out. There should be a culture of listening. There should be a culture of believing people already. That should already be the culture. If that's not the culture, that's a red flag. And when someone comes forward, there are steps to be taken. And I was listening to a podcast recently where the person was saying, you know, that they did very quick research and found plenty of resources. So if a church is interested in being a safe space, there are steps that they will take and they will include the legal system in that process. They will not exclude that. So those are things that that just happen. If you are a person who has been in that situation, so two things here to take away for me is if you are, have been in that situation, I want to encourage you that one, you're not alone. And I know we hear that, but you really are not. There are communities like Eric's on his Facebook group. There are podcasts like his podcast, Preacher Boys, that talk to survivors. They talk about these systemic issues and it can really help to clarify those foggy feelings and impressions that you might walk away from in your situation. So I encourage you to look look out for those. And that's a, a big reason why Eric was such a, an important episode and a person to point to as someone who is really bringing voice 
and we need we need a lot of voice. If you have not been in that situation, or if you've been in churches that you feel like have done a very good job, that's amazing. That's perfect. That is awesome, and glad for it. And we still need to, if someone says that XYZ happened, we still need to do the steps. We still need to say, I believe you. I hear you. What can I do? Et cetera. All right. So we are going to move on to our next episode and talk about our next episode with Natalie. All right. So jumping in about our conversation with Natalie. Oh my goodness. It was so good. So and I'm not just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually, it was one of the, the, at the time, I think it was one of the most fun to record. And mm-hmm. I also think the information was really good. The resource right. information that she, that she provided was really good. I'll say what I took away and what I think is probably a significant resource for listeners is that when it comes to intimacy after sexual assault, just like with most, a lot of things, there's a space of communication that has to happen. There's an understanding of self that has to happen prior to the exploration of intimacy with someone else. So understanding what you are okay with now, what you're not okay with now, all without judgment. Because I think oftentimes there's there's a space of judgment of what you want to do or what, as opposed to what you're comfortable with doing when it comes to intimacy. I also like that Natalie's definition of definition of intimacy didn't stop at at sexual intercourse. It wasn't just about the physical space of intimacy. It was about emotional safety and emotional int- intimacy that then leads to the physical intimacy. And so I thought that was really significant because oftentimes when we think about a sex therapist talking about intimacy, we automatically assume that they're talking about physical intimacy. And she was very clear that there's steps before you get to the physical especially if you are someone who is on a journey to recover from sexual assault. And thinking about it in terms of, you know, restoring safety. And, you know, there are certain, I mean, I've had, I had, I had at least one couple come to me where the wife in this situation was, went through an assault while they were married. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like it happened before or as a teenager or growing up. And so restoring safety, understanding more about what's even happening in the nervous system and that kind of space. But also, I talk about this a lot, and this this could really be a whole conversation about separating out that a violent experience, which doesn't mean what we think it means sometimes, like the movies and like a really... Violence does not have to be loud or even aggressive. That's good. Mm -hmm. I want to name that. But sex and a violent sexual trauma are two different things. Sex with your partner is requires safety and connection and, you know, knowing each other and those kind of things, communication, verbal and (laughs) nonverbal. But that is a completely, even though there might be similar body parts involved, it is a different thing. And we need to start separating those out very clearly. And I think that can be one of the, one of the steps in re, reestablishing or establishing safety with your partner. 
The other thing that that stuck out too is the isolation that the partner may feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may be that person listening that you're with someone, you haven't been through it yourself. You didn't have a childhood of, of fear of someone or multiple people in, in the family or in the environment crossing those boundaries. And so there's things you can't understand. There's, there's things that aren't going to occur to you. And that can also be pretty isolating when you love this person and you might have that, that feeling of, but I didn't do this. Why are they, why do they have a problem with me? I, I am, I have always been safe for them. I have always been loving towards them. I have always listened and, you know, consent has always been a part of the experience. It's a really tough place. I want to, I want to name that. I don't think we, we give partners enough space sometimes to be able to say, you know, this is, this is freaking hard. This is, this is good. I don't, I don't know that I'm meant to sign up for this. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we all have our struggles and we all have our things. So the uh, survivor is not in a deficit compared to their partner. We are all people, humans with our own struggles. I love that inclusion of partner, partners in that space as well. Natalie had some really good, really good suggestions for, for how to rebuild that intimacy. So take a listen to that. All right. So we are on to our next episode, which was Raja and Invisalware. So this was our first product, actual physical product for purchase. Up until this point, you know, a lot of our resources are um, tools that you can use, information that you can use. But Invisaware was really fun to interview, excuse me, interview Raja um, about Invisaware because it was our first product. And it's a product that I'm using. I'm literally my daughter's going to college in another state next fall, and she will be getting some of Invisaware. Just gonna say that. <laughs> Whether she likes it or not, when she likes it, she's seen it and she loves she loves the product because it does not look like a panic button, but it is. And so I think one of the things that I took away from Raja's interview was how you can take an experience and turn that into a passion, right? Her being an engineer and and already having some of the knowledge of how to create products and different things like that. I think she was like, how can I use this experience to help other people? How can I advocate for other people so that they're not in the same situation? I thought that was really important. One reason I think that's important is because that's kind of how I think as well. How can I use my experiences to help others, um, to give them information, to give them tools? And so that's kind of what she was about. And so I really did enjoy the advocacy piece of the product. Like the whole idea of the purpose of this product is to assist folks in advocating for themselves, maybe help someone advocate for someone else, a family or friend advocating for someone, and then what that looked like from her perspective. And so love this particular interview. And her creating that space of, you know, wearable safety, Mm -hmm. you know, to the, to the degree, you know, we, we say, what can we do to, to the degree that it's in our power to do? Mm-hmm. And there are, we cannot keep all situations from happening. We cannot. And at the same time, we can be in a space of being attentive and aware 
of things from the inside in terms of our self-love, our self-care, our confidence, and how we carry ourselves, and those types of things. Again, not that those keep people who are intent on harming from harming, Mm -hmm. but it can deter and it can interrupt. And this is one of those devices, and it's not the only one on the market. You know, we were just introduced to to her story and really liked, you know, the fact that she had, you know, taken these steps and, and gotten this far with such a good product. And, you know, being able to wear something and be able to communicate, contact others, and in, in the moment, in the moment mm-hmm. itself. You know what? That was the what really. I don't want to sound like a commercial, but I, you know, one of the coolest things that I think is built in is if you're in a situation where you, you're starting, like your spidey senses are starting to tingle, you know, and you're like, "Mm, I don't know about this, that there is an operator that can act like your BFF. (laughs) That's the part that was the coolest for me. That was the coolest thing. I was like, oh wait, that is, that is magical. Right. Let me, let me interrupt this date. Let me, let me check. Yeah. On, let check me text. I can send a text really fast. I can, cause who, who isn't texting or have their phone in their hand or something of that nature. So I thought that was a genius way, um, especially for college kids. If you, again, I'm on that space cause having two kids in college, but that's kind of the space that I'm looking at. Like if I'm out and I'm in a restaurant or if I'm out and um, my kids are out, and they're hanging out with their friends. They don't want to like be the one that's saying anything. You know what? You don't have to say a word here. This is what you can do. And so I thought that that was an awesome, awesome tool. Right. And not just for women, you know, they're, sure. they're thinking in terms of, you know, what, what kind of products are going to be work for a range of genders or just the people, people having different preferences for what they want to wear mm-hmm. and thinking in terms of, you know, transgender people, have a high rate of, of experiencing people coming towards them at them with violence every day. And Mm -hmm. so having something in hand and not feeling like you always have to be with another person, you know, there, there are people out there who do not go out without another person. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Think about the limiting, how limiting that can feel or might feel even though it's, it may be in the, in the sexual trauma realm, but all the latest um, news around hazing and the degree to which hazing experiences go to, you know, what if you had that on you and you could alert someone, you know, I know that there's a lot of social pressure and a lot of, a lot of layers to that, but just came to mind. All right. So our next episode was with Chris from Sapria. And this was our first organization, right? This is the first organization that we interviewed, person from an organization that we interviewed. And I will say that it was really interesting to talk to someone who focused solely on childhood sexual abuse and that space of prevention and helping others become liberated from that space of childhood sexual abuse. That's something that I thought was interesting because oftentimes when we talk about sexual abuse, we talk about the current impact that it's having. And there's not a whole lot of focus, unless you're, of course, in therapy about the child, how we prevent, how do we prepare parents, how do we educate parents, things that we can do so that children 
are safer when they're adults, right? So there was a whole lot of intersection that I thought was going on there. And I think my my favorite takeaway was that their services are free. That's what we are about. We're about free resources and recovering in a space that is free from triggers, but also free from stress. And financial stress is serious when it comes to recovery for some of us. And so the fact that they do the work that they do and it's free to those that they serve is amazing to go on a retreat where you're actually going to have the support that you need and you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to worry about how you're going to pay for it. The the space of, you know, I've already been through this. Why do I now have to pay with my time, energy and hard earned monies to recover? And they are filling that gap. They are filling that gap with the resources for parents and having groups, having the retreats, the free retreats in Utah and Georgia, but then having the groups online and the resources online that you can access anytime. They have resources for people who have already been through the retreat and they have people who resources for people who haven't been to retreat at all. And so Sapria is, you know, a a wonderful resource and they have rebranded just FYI from the unique foundation to expand to providing services for all genders. So Mm -hmm. looking forward to having retreats for all people. Yeah. The other thing I think is also unique about or just interesting about Sapria is that Claire and I had so many six degrees of separation moments with this organization that it was completely it was like, wait, that person. Oh, that person works with Sapria. Oh, wait, we interviewed someone else that had done some work with Sapria. And then we interviewed someone else that had done some work with Sapria. So I thought it was really interesting that we had them on our list to um, to interview. And then we realized that we literally had less than six degrees of separation um, with the organization. So that just goes to show the reach and the impact that they're having on the sexual trauma recovery community. Absolutely. Yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal work. And it's global, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So take a listen to Chris. And he was interesting. He was fun. I I thought it was, it was more fun than I I thought it was going to be a bit of a, you know, a stuffy interview with an executive. We were pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So then we met with Erica, a therapist in California, a trauma therapist in California who has a workbook, a healing workbook. And I know that it's, it's April right now and her course just launched. And so, you know, having these resources online that you can access and engage with professionals at different levels, you know, you've got therapy, you've got groups, you've got Facebook groups, you've got Instagram connections, channels that you're following, YouTube, there's, there's all manner of resources out there. And, you know, with Erica, we, we, we highlighted and talked about how her workbook is one of the books that has been banned in one state. And just the, the, the confusion, (laughs) the absolute confusion, absolute puzzlement of how a puzzlement. the puzzlement. I love it. How, puzzlement. <laughs> I make up words all the time. I didn't even notice I said that. I like of how how could you ban a book that helps people recover from something so difficult? And it was on it was on a short list of books. It wasn't like they had banned 50 books in that library and it was in a school. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was that that whole concept with her, but also with others of, you know, what 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 books are being scrutinized that are actually in a helping space. I think for me that was a big that was a big thing and also just having a workbook that you can use on your own, you can go through on your own because again, the idea of FOF is that we encourage you to find what works best for you and it may not be an active engaged therapeutic space for you in the moment, right? That may not be where you are, but if you have someone who can break information down for you, a place that you can do a virtual workshop and have a workbook that you can work through on your own, right? You can work through through in an asynchronous, non-structured way. That may be really helpful. And I thought that that was, that was something that, that was one of my takeaways is that this is a great example of how resources can be used in different ways for different people, depending on where you are in your journey. Right. And that, that helps, again, on the financial side. We know how expensive, you know, the, the therapy is. And if you can be supplementing your, your time with things that you do that engage your body and your nervous system, if you can be doing mm-hmm. things that engage your support system, and those things are important to, to finding our way and creating our own programs. And I would think about it that way. What's mm-hmm. going to contribute to your, your, a supportive structure in your world and meeting the needs that you have in the moment? Our next person that we we interviewed was Sarah Aird, another example of someone using their experience or their experience influencing them wanting to become an advocate. Sarah has several resources that she has used and that she uses to help advocate for individuals who have experienced sexual assault and sexual abuse. One thing that I thought was interesting is that because of her experience and her not really understanding some of the things that were going on and some of the terms and, you know, feeling like she wished it was more in layman's terms, right? And not so clinical, that prompted her to create a resource that is in more in layman's terms. And it explains post-traumatic stress and it explains the symptoms and it helps you understand strategies to heal, et cetera. I thought that was genius because how often are we in situations where we're like, I just wish someone would tell this to me. I like to say, tell it to me like I'm two, like explain to me like I'm two so I can really understand what you're talking about. And she took that to the next level. She broke down some of these clinical spaces of cognitive behavioral theory and she broke down PTSD and what that means and what your body goes through to help survivors understand and begin to heal and not be overwhelmed. And then now she has really dedicated a lot of her life to ensuring that she's advocating in one way or the other, whether that's working with Sapria and helping them develop their programming, or if that is developing her own programming. So Sarah is is definitely one of our guests that really impacted me in this space, in the space of you can break things down. You can um, use resources in a way that works best for you. We've been talking about that the entire season. That's kind of what we're built on is helping individuals find resources that work for them. And Sarah was perfect for that. I loved her dedication, her passion, her commitment to making sure that everyone understood their journey in their, in their terms. 
And she's a great example of how a, you know, a person who isn't trained as a therapist can step in and have the boundary to know that it's not therapy, but to provide information and processes and firsthand understanding in a different voice, in a different way, and to be still so beneficial. You know, she put, she put all that together because it took her forever to, to find the things that worked for her. So Mm -hmm. again, just what you said, creating information in a way that she would have liked to have heard it. And I, I hear plenty of people say, you know, therapists can, can be great. Some people have had horrible experiences with therapists. So I want to put that out there. So there are people out there who are not overstepping their bounds in terms of doing therapy when they're not trained, but they are providing great coaching and resources in a way that may fit for you. I want to point out really fast too, before we go to the next guest, that Sarah and Raja both use their experiences to create products and things that would help others who are in similar situations. And to me, that's a testament to what we can do and how we can use our experiences to assist others, if that is something that we're passionate about. As we were talking about Sarah, I thought about the same thing with Raja, this space of, this is what I went through. I wish other people didn't have to go through this. What can I do? Sarah had that same idea. I'm confused. I don't know what I'm doing. These therapy, This therapy is not working necessarily for me, but I want it to. How can I assist others so that they don't have to go through all of this in order to get to the right resources and tools that they can use to heal? And we want to be clear, even as therapists ourselves, that we think those voices are valid and useful and helpful. And we don't all, we, we're not the ones that have all the answers. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to talk about our last two guests for the podcast. And one guest was Amanda and the other guest was Tanya. And the reason that we're going to talk about them together is because as we're looking at our past guests, Claire and I were looking at the similarities between the two. There's some differences, but there are also some similarities between the episodes. I think what we focused on in the episodes were very similar. One being from a therapeutic space um, and the other, of course, coming from um, from a survivor and then now uh, a, a healer. And so, Claire, do you want to start with Amanda and then I will I can tackle sure. Tanya? Sure. So- So they both do yin yoga to begin with. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't heard of that, we we go into the details of that. And I was, that was a a type of yoga that I was actually unfamiliar with until we started prepping for, for, I mean. I love yin yoga. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, I do it all the time. I love it. It's (laughs) it's good. Anyway, anyway. Um, And so, you know, hearing them both talk about that, like you just said, from two different vantage points and, you know, Amanda's time and energy in, in creating spaces that are, you know, we, at first when we were talking, we thought that her, her work was a little bit polar, like the body work and then EMDR work, which is a little bit, we were thinking a little bit more kind of in the heady space, but she was like, no, they're kind of both body centered. And, and I was like, Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. 
and resetting the body after trauma because it's such a nervous system experience. You've got the emotions as well. But I just thought that it was, and her approach, her, not approach, her manner. I like Amanda's manner and just style of, of, of yes, gentleness, but power as well mm-hmm. and clarity. And, you know, she does EMDR intensives. And so I think that's a really good and neat idea to have extended time to really dive in and, um, and have, have a good session with that. And again, we can't, in this moment, we can't dive into everything about EMDR and all of that, but. But we we do talk a little bit about it in the episode. We give, we give the information about what EMDR is and what type of therapy that is and how that assists and helps um, individuals recovering and surviving trauma. And so in order to get more information about that, please go back to Amanda's episode so that you can get a little bit more information about that and then do some additional research. Um, and we also talk about yin yoga and, and both Amanda and um, Tanya's episode as well. So I'll talk, touch on Tanya. I actually started following her on Instagram because I love, as I just said, like yin yoga. So I love yoga. I've been doing yoga. And so I started following her. And after doing a little bit more research on her, looking in her bio and stuff, I realized that she does trauma recovery. And she does trauma recovery from a survivor's perspective. And she is a trained yogi. And so she does a lot of body work and breath work for individuals recovering from from sexual trauma. And so I thought that was amazing because again, it's not always, it's not one or the other, right? So you can go to therapy, you can read the book, you can do the workbook, you can have the the safety jewelry, you can do all those different things, but there is a space where you're going to get where you want to do a little bit more regulation, right? You want to get reconnected to your body. We talked about igniting intimacy after um, sexual trauma. And if that is something that is interesting to you or something that you're interested in doing, then understanding the breath work and understanding the connection between your body and your breath and, and your physicality and all of those different things that are going to be important. And so that's something my takeaway I'll say from um, from Tanya was the importance of connecting your mind and your body in your healing, in your healing journey and why that's so important. And so she does a lot of work with her clients on um, and she does virtual work as well, but connecting the mind and the body. Because oftentimes when um, there has been an interruption, which is, that's what sexual assault is, it's an interruption, there's a disconnection too. There's a disconnection between the mind and the body. For safety reasons, um, there's a disconnection. And so she does a really good job helping her clients connect their mind and their body so that they then can reconnect and re-engage in their life a little bit more effectively. Um, and so those are two, our last two interviews, but I think that they went hand in hand because like Claire said, they were, you would think they were polar opposites, right? A therapeutic approach and then a more physical body approach, but they actually work in tandem and they work together to um, support the space of healing. Yep. And it was pretty cool. I, after our interview, I invited Tanya to join my networking group for sexual trauma specialists. And we actually met today and it was really neat because she had just come off the beach because she lives in Puerto Rico and she had worked with a couple. And one of the partners was a a man who had not been, who had not done 
yoga before and he was so excited. And so it was just, it was neat to, to hear what that was like, kind of right, right in the moment. And also she, she just had a new printing of her cards. She has two card decks on Etsy. So, you know, there's just, there's so many things people are doing and we just want to continue to bring those to you in, in lots of different ways and have these conversations and we're just getting started where we have kind of an infinite list of people and topics that we want to want, want to address. And you as the, as the listener, we, we invite you to engage with that and to let us know what's, what's helpful to you. I will say that our very last, one of our last episodes that we did was a movie review. And if you've not um, listened to that movie review, you should go listen to it. It was on the movie, The Luckiest Girl Alive. It's a Netflix movie that came out a few months ago. Claire and I had a lot to say about that, about the movie, but also about the experience, right? The experience of the main character, Tiffany. And so we want to encourage you to go back and listen to that episode because we will be doing more of the pop culture movie review topical episodes in season two. Like Claire said before in the, in the beginning, in addition to our interviews, we're also going to be starting to include some of the other hot topics, so to speak, and giving giving a space for, for that conversation. Things that are coming up in the media and social events and pop culture and, and those kind of things. Yeah, as, as well. We're looking forward to that. This is a season where we're going to be bringing you rare discussions and topics with candid conversation between Claire and myself, as well as intriguing interviews with some amazing guests. As always, you'll be provided with resources to help you engage and to help you along your healing journey. So our topics for the season, we are going to be looking at the S-trauma healing process through the lens of three different topics. Our topics for the season that we're going to be looking at for the healing process of S-trauma, we're going to be looking through the lens of boys and men, the media, and culture and race. So the interviews and discussions that we're going to be having are going to be through that lens. We're going to be talking about and interviewing around the topics of boys and men, media, and culture and race. Why do we think these lenses are so vital to highlight? So we're going to get that into that a little bit here, and then we hope you join us for the season. So let's start with boys and men and their healing journey. So due to the myths and the misunderstandings of male experiences, we find that it cripples the healing process for S-trauma. It leads to underreporting, internalized shame, and it also leads to misinterpretation of the impact of S-trauma in the lives of men. So we wanted to make sure that we highlighted these conversations that are not typically discussed as it relates to boys and men and sexual trauma. Right. So a thought I have that comes out of this is kind of connected to that underreporting, connected to the internalized shame and misinterpreting the impacts is if you don't know to call something you've been through abuse or assault or violence, if you don't name it as those things, that that's what it is, how would you attach some of the thoughts you're having, 
some of the feelings you're having in life, some of the behaviors that you're watching, kind of watching yourself do, or other people are commenting on, how would you know to call those thoughts, feelings, and behavior things that came out of something that happened to you? If you are going through the world and you have a huge general mistrust of people, but you don't know that someone perpetrated a crime against you, it's probably not going to make sense. And at the end of the day, when you have all these thoughts, feelings, and behaviors kind of floating around and you have nothing to attach it to, it can make you feel absolutely crazy. And you can attach it to all kinds of things. You can dismiss it altogether, especially in, you know, I know toxic masculinity is a huge kind of buzzword and people have lots of feelings about it. But when we train men to think, feel, and behave in certain ways, and they aren't doing those ways or can't figure out how to, or they're struggling and hiding the fact that they're struggling, that's a problem and becomes a bigger problem that turns into a lot of either health issues or substance abuse or repeating violence or creating violence. So those are just some ways and really just internal pain really is the word. Absolutely. And so as you can see, we're definitely going to be discussing that this season. The next lens that we want to tackle this season is media. And this includes social media. This includes pop culture, musicians, movies, et cetera. These are all things that Claire and I enjoy. And so we find ourselves looking through the lens of trauma therapists and warriors and healers, et cetera. And so we know that these avenues of information have a significant impact on how we behave, how we look at ourselves, how we look at others. And it also has a huge impact on how we view and how we interpret sexual trauma. And so we want to have those hard conversations about media and its impact on sexual trauma healing. Right. Because sometimes when you, let's say you're watching a movie or a show, or you're interacting with a channel that you regularly watch or keep up with, and they are talking about something that you've experienced, but you don't even know this person, it, it can be really helpful to your healing process to be able to name things or to know that someone else has experienced it that way. It's like when you read a book or a blog and you see yourself on the page, you read yourself on the page and it, it, it makes, it can help make you not feel so alone. And so we think that, you know, some of the, an aspect of the media and the helpful aspects of media are that they can help us feel not as alone. So we want to tackle that a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the third lens that we're going to tackle is culture and race. And we want to look at the impacts of culture and race on the healing process. We want to look at inter and intra community and global culture. We're going to talk about gender roles, respectability politics. We're going to talk about the space of over-sexualization of brown and black children. We're going to talk about secret culture, what goes on in this house stays in this house and how that impacts generationally that space of strong black woman or strong brown woman or strong woman syndrome and what that does for the healing process. 
So an aspect of this is when we look at the beliefs in our own families, in our country, or in the region that we live, you know, what were we taught around boundaries? What were we taught around our bodies? Do we have autonomy? Could we say no to, you know, hugging a relative? Do we start off early in life being able to name and be accepting of our own sexuality and our own, I end here and you begin there and I get to decide who gets to come into my space. And another aspect would be who's held responsible for violence? How is violence defined? Who has the power is taught in every culture that we're raised in. So these are some of the aspects, you know, this is, this is big and deep and, and so important. And then the conversations that we don't typically have that there are not typically discussed. And so we want to create a space where we're able to have these conversations and share this information in a freak out free way. Exactly. So please join us this season as we discuss, for example, the final chapter in Surviving R. Kelly, the documentary, and the amazing memoir called Wise Little One by Jana Wilson a fellow thriver. And then we're also going to tackle, like we just said, the unpopular topic of male survivors in our interviews and discussions. I'm Claire. And I'm Dr. Sadal. Join us in the Freak Out Free space. <laughs>